How's it going? Good. How are you? Oh, man. In my car today. It's, uh, my time management skills are pretty crazy. I have to go pick up a base from somebody that I let borrow it that can only do it today, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Time management is always uh, a challenge. A challenge. <laughs> Well, yeah, because, I mean, we're, like, the most unreliable people, like, ever, you know? Like, it's awesome. So, um, the lurks, right? Am I saying that right? Yeah, yeah you're saying yeah. it right. I'm going to pass the ball over. You guys can introduce yourselves because I'm terrible at actions. <laughs> okay, well, uh, we're the lurks. My name is Chavi. And I'm Sabu. Um, and we've been making music together ever since we're 13 years old, the two of us. So that's when we started our first band. That's when we started writing songs together. And it's quite a while ago, actually. Yeah, because uh, that's uh, that's about 30 something years ago now. So, um, yeah. How did you 90... stay friends for that long? <laughs> um, well, we were very... Um, tolerant <laughs> of each other <laughs> oh i think uh yeah we might be freezing do you, do you think it'd be better if we turned the camera off because it might use less data let's try it let's see so all right that might be better um yeah, so we've we've it, it was a bit of a rocky road in the beginning. I think the first probably like three or four years we beat each other up once a day, almost like you could uh you could have bet on it. Um yeah, it was pretty much always around lunchtime. So yeah. we had this high noon thing. <laughs> <laughs> and then someone we decided we really actively decided to stop it. We actually had a talk about it when we were, I don't know, I think around 16 <laughs> or something. Let's just be nicer to each other. Yeah, <laughs> we said, you know, this is this is shit, we're best friends, we shouldn't beat each other up. So then we actually got engaged instead. <laughs> I I deeply wish that my uh, my co-host could make it that uh that old bastard because we've also been making music and doing this podcast together since around the time that you two met and yeah um, I couldn't I, I, same thing the first four years we were we were total dicks to each other we were we were yeah. totally not nice at all and then. Yeah, we still play, we still hang out, we still do this and stuff. So that's great. I'm glad it works. I'm glad like we're not the only people that like you can yeah. have that long-lasting friendship. Yeah, totally. And I think a lot of it is you you're basically growing up together, you're like brothers because you go through so much together that you just have such a long shared history. It's really like a it's like a twin feeling. It is. I feel this it, is my twin. It really is, yeah. <laughs> so uh you're in the UK now. We yeah. are. And then, you, but you started in the U.S. What, what's your journey like uh, musically, a, as far as like places you've been and lived? It's a circular thing. We actually started out in the U.K. Yeah, we started out in London in '95 with with this band, with the Lurks, um, in a in a dingy, sort of awful bed sit in Shepherd's Bush. So it's like a pretty rough part of London, where um, uh where the, the, the seeds of uh, of the lyrics started growing. Um, but that was a really bad time for us. We were we were doing a lot of drugs. We were drinking a lot and um, things Ooh. just weren't going well. Yeah, we were very musically frust uh, frustrated because that was just around the time when uh, when Britpop was huge and no one was interested in in hard rock. And we were just getting so much into, into rock and metal and we just really wanted to play that kind of music that was so unhip at that moment. So... Um, so then we decided to leave London because it was it was just not the right place 
of for the time. Yeah, and it was it was impossible to get musicians because London was so trendy. I think we probably would have had to go to some untrendy place like Birmingham or Newcastle or something. <laughs> but London was just impossible to find musicians who wanted to play hard rock because you weren't going to make it big with hard rock in in '95 in London. So uh, we decided to go to LA purely because we were huge Guns N' Roses fans and uh, and Nikki Six fans, and they had gone to LA and we were just like, yeah, okay, our heroes made it. Like they, they went to LA. So we're going to go to LA. We knew fuck all about LA. Like, I, I mean, mean this, this is, this is pre-internet <laughs> times. So this is something that people nowadays can not really imagine anymore. But, but back then it was so difficult to get information. I mean, we were, we were just, you know, also like kids who were a bit cut off from information. We had dropped out of high school. We were just uh, making music. Um, you know, we we had no access to information about what LA was like. Um, but so, just, so on a scale from one to ten, how disappointed in LA were you? <laughs> I think we weren't disappointed. No, at all. No. Um, even though it was quite different by by the time we got there. I mean, we had all our knowledge from like Guns N' Roses biographies and and Motley Crue biographies, and it was quite different by by the time we arrived. The Sunset Strip scene was it was like the sad remnants of that <laughs> um but we loved it because people were still interested in hard rock there was actually a, a small scene for that we managed to uh, find a drummer we we recorded uh, a first demo within a couple of months after arriving there we started gigging and the um, um the other bands were just very very welcoming um like the the remnants of the of the the glam rock scene actually uh, they kind of took us under their wings um so we we started to regularly um, play gigs at glam nights, and that was just a lot of fun. And people were very kind and welcoming, really. And and fun fact: after we we spent two weeks, about two weeks, living on the streets because we didn't want to spend our um, very uh, scarce money on on the, a motel. Um, so we lived on the streets. But then when we found an apartment, it was actually the in the very apartment building that Guns N' Roses had. Uh, lived in for a while but we didn't know at the time we only found that out much later when when the internet was a thing and we were like no way they lived in 11, at 1114 north clark street that's like literally where we li where we lived um so we we really did it we went exactly like exactly where our heroes had gone that's where we went yeah it's fate it's total fate yeah i moved to la in like 2018 and uh my drummer co-host dude he'd been there since about 2015 and i mean I, yes there is a scene for everything and musically it was great but like i i know what you mean by the remnants of the glam rock scene like the whole sunset strip almost felt like a museum after after yeah. a bit i left right before covid right mm -hmm. yeah well when we were there i mean this was still a uh, much much earlier so we went to la in 96 so um, the whole glam rock thing wasn't as over yet as when when you arrived. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Like Bronze was probably huge. It didn't feel like a museum yet when yeah. we were there. I mean, it definitely felt like it wasn't hip anymore. Yeah, because grunge was, but grunge was never like a huge thing in LA. I have the feeling like the what what was just coming up at that time was like System of a Down was the big LA band that was coming up at that time. Um, so it was definitely more like the hardcore kind of like almost new metal stuff that was starting to emerge. Definitely not. Okay. Metal, 
museum, but but it didn't feel like a museum yet. Yeah, and there were actual actual survivors of the. It was basically it felt like all of the bands that just hadn't really been picked up for whatever reason by any labels. Um, they were just kind of still or didn't want to or didn't want to or didn't want to get picked up. There were some like really dedicated indie bands who who just where there was this awesome punk band, The Mistakes, <laughs> and they were they were really really good. And uh, and they just always turned everyone down because they just didn't want to sell out to a label. So they just kind of rather went spare changing and and uh, just did the punk rock thing. Um, but yeah, there, there were actual like relics still from uh, from the, the late 80s, early 90s. So that was that was kind of fun. Um, we met some. We actually lived just down the block from Lemmy. And he used to go and buy his groceries at this uh, petrol station, like across from the whiskey. And I have no idea why he bought his groceries there because it was a grubby place, but he probably liked it that way. <laughs> so I, my, one of my my, fa- my favorite memories, I think, is queuing behind Lemmy at that petrol station. And he's just buying this butter that's just so completely over the date, like it's runny and gross. And, and I'm kind of like, should I point it out to him? But it's like, nah, it's Lemmy. He probably likes his butter that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I thought he was like a staple at the Rainbow Room for a while, too, that he was just always there. Did you guys play anywhere anywhere noteworthy in L.A.? Um, Coconut Teaser, the Roxy, and the Troubadour, probably the three like big name ones that we played. Like, Could you like feel the presence of the other bands that were? I think I mean it did feel it kind did of legendary. Feel, it did feel legendary. I, I remember both at the the Roxy and the and the Troubadour. That was that was definitely a thrill to play these stages. And we didn't play there often because it was all pay to play at that time, so we couldn't afford it. Um wow. but the, the teaser was was like our our club we played the teaser like once a month almost and uh, that was definitely also my favorite club because it just had such a it was just a real rock club like both the the roxy and the troubadour felt a little bit like they were just kind of living off of their glory days and they're just and they were kind of making money right like off the bands yeah because everyone wanted to have it on their cv i've played the whiskey i've played the roxy i've played the troubadour so if you had like 350 bucks to buy pre-sale tickets which you were never going to sell um then you you know it was just it it was just an opportunity that a lot of bands wanted to have but the the coconut teaser was like where the real thing happened like that was a real cool sunset strip rock club so i feel i i cherish those memories most of playing the the coconut teaser i would say less fame but more authenticity yeah there's so many times in musicians' careers, especially like it's rare that to find somebody that's lasted that long in the game as working musicians. Because there's so many things, like bands break up, people uh, unfortunately people do pass. Uh, there's so even on a small scale, there's jam sessions that can't even stay afloat because because of drama between people and i know that gets to people i know there's also people that end up saying you know what i'll make more doing a day job and, and quit what keeps you guys motivated uh, that's, that's actually a bit different questions i mean uh first of uh first of all i mean we 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 didn't do music all through those years um we actually did stop someone in between and we only got the band back together um 20 years later really yeah so, what, so we have a long long hiatus in our band history yeah so so we um we stopped 
in 2000. And for, for some of the reasons that, that you mentioned, like it was kind of, we were fed up with the, with that whole rock scene, like with all of the, all of the posers, basically, we were really like, like everyone was just trying to present some kind of image. And we, we kind of had the feeling we, we, we got off of the drugs and the drinking and, um, and it's just started to be a bit boring. Like we just kind of <laughs> wanted, wanted new input. Cause if you're not drinking and not partying and, like that that really was one big thing for us and that's also we really um, got bored yes we did get <laughs> bored like we were really honestly not interested in that kind of party lifestyle so like the next 20 years what we actually did is we went back to school we did our high school diploma we, we went, went went to uni so we really we we, we just full-on went into this this education thing yeah we became re- we became real academics <laughs> like we the what we then act, actually ended up doing and and what is our one of our a bread earning jobs is that we um, started our own online Latin language school. So we studied classics and, uh, and then that's what we, that was basically our new band. That was our new project. We put all of our creative energy into that and for then, a while. And then after a while, um, Chavi studied again and this time environmental sciences. So he's, he's an environmental scientist. And this is something that when we got the band back together, really massively influenced our new lyric writing, um, which is why now uh, we call our genre nature warrior rock. So um, now maybe 80% of our lyrics um, are about, you know, nature, um, nature, human relationship, um, the beauty of nature. So wood lice, wood lice, eels, yes. like cool leopard slugs, <laughs> just like weird shit like that. Well, Let's see. Well, one, they can really use you back in L.A. since, uh, you know, it burns down once a year. I uh, I used to work in the National Park Service. That was how I got to California was the first six months I lived in San Diego. But they sent me all over California and all over the southwest working in various state parks and national parks. And yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a great cause to get behind. And I, I definitely understand finding a cause to keep in like having the music have more meaning because I've played Mm. in cover bands before, like just for instance, right. I was playing a gig and then my friend was playing a gig and then his guitar player that he got to sub for me. Cause I, we, I I would have been double booked. I couldn't have made it. So he's had someone sub for me. And then that guy had a gig later that night that we both met up and went to the club and saw him play. And at all three gigs, we all ended up playing the same cover song. (laughs) and for me i was like the Mm -hmm. music is so much more than just taking my my shit to a bar and playing the same fucking song three times a day like that's (laughs) not why i got into this so having that cause definitely and like honoring your your art and your gift that way what do you guys play well individually do you guys play everything uh yeah with that except for drums we we just program drums although but... we do have a pretty cool drummer but, <laughs> we, but yeah we, we have a cool drummer but yeah, on but... our new recordings the drums are, are programmed <laughs> and then yeah. we be, between us we play guitar and, and bass and we have a plastic recorder in the band as well 
Yeah, Cebu is our recorder player. <laughs> so it's like hard rock, but with recorders. It's, it's very cool. It's <laughs> it's very experimental and and like in the true spirit of the 1970s. Like yeah, uh, we're, we're just anything goes. We're just experimenting with what it sounds like when you play the plastic recorder through a guitar amp. It's pretty mean. It's pretty cool. We love it. <laughs> how'd you do that? Did you do you use a piezo pickup or how do you get it through the game? Um, just through a microphone. So we're not oh, actually, nice. Uh, nice. yeah, yeah. So it, it gives it a really kind of dirty sound. <laughs> oh, I love plugging it. random instruments into amps. It's fun. Yeah, it's so cool. I know. Yeah, it's 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 really um, it's for us. It's just really important to um to kind of have this whole uh bandwidth of of creativity available like i think when we were like the first time around with the lurks it was a very classic kind of rock three-piece setup like we had one guitar one bass drums vocals and it was very kind of the role um, the roles were very clear the role, yeah the roles were very clear and it was in a way um kind of limiting sometimes because you know there's only so much you can do if you're like a classic three-piece right you're always going to be kind of tied down um to certain to certain roles and certain things you can or can't do. And when we restarted the band, we, from the beginning, we were kind of really open to experimenting with uh, with different things and different setups. So when we play live, uh, some songs we're going to play like guitar, bass, drums, really like normal standard. Then some songs we're going to play with like drums and two guitars, no bass. And then some songs we're going to play with drums, one guitar and a recorder. So it's just really... Free, um, free. really free yeah and that's a lot of fun so do you play live now yeah as often as we can we have a bit of a difficult drummer situation you know how it is with drummers <laughs> drummers always uh, drummers have, have always been um the big question mark in our band um but uh, we're geographically between two drummers, Kenna. Yeah, like one of our drummers is up north and he lives in Liverpool. That's, um, our, that's our original drummer from the 90s. Uh, and he's actually been very instrumental in a way in, in getting the band back together because we had lost touch with him completely for, for many, many years. And then he commented on an old um, Lurks video on YouTube and he was like ah oh, great memories great times and we're like hey hang on that's Joe that's our old drummer and then we contacted him through that comment and then we met up because we happened to live relatively close to Liverpool at that time um, and then we just got on really well and we had the crazy idea to get the band back together and that's uh, and then COVID hit and we kind of managed to every time there wasn't a lockdown we kind of managed to get together and record some songs um, so that's Joe, but he's way, way up in Liverpool. That's like a five hour drive from us. Um, so we obviously yeah, can't, can't do stuff um, like regularly. regularly. And then we have another drummer, Zoe, who's a friend of ours who lives much closer to us um, and who we're just kind of like trying to rope into the band <laughs> and get her to commit a little bit more um, so that we can play gigs actually down here. And in the meantime, we do a lot of stuff, just the two of us together. We're basically taking... Um, we're, do, we're doing acoustic hard rock. So we're doing like acoustic sets, just the two of us. But because we've never been like a singer songwriter type band, we've always been a, a hard rock band. So we don't know how not to kick ass. So our, <laughs> our acoustic sets are always sort of like, it's just the same level of like hard rock, punk rock energy, just with an acoustic guitar and without drums. 
but people are kind of blown away because they expect something very different when you go up on stage with an acoustic guitar and a plastic recorder. They're they kind of like accept, expect something soft. They, right? they expect like a Joni Mitchell type of thing, and then it's just like bam in your face, bang your heads. <laughs> 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 that is that is something I, I would definitely pay to see that that is that is something <laughs> all, like out there so like have you thought about bringing the program drums on stage well, one thing for me is i've booked gigs before where i don't have a band and like four days till the show time i'm texting everybody i know hey is anybody free on a thursday night does anybody want to make a quick 50 bucks 100 bucks whatever and I've been able to pull it off last minute, but sometimes that ends up looking bad on me with the club promoters. Cause like booking my own gigs, you know, I, I tell, I make sure I know what they want and I make sure I bring it. But then if I have one member of the band that goes up to him and goes, yeah, we just met today. I'm like, Oh, great. Thank you. <laughs> really needed that. That makes me look awesome. <laughs> I mean, what what's the Craigslist like in uh in in the UK? Do you guys have Craigslist or Gumtree or Kijiji? Yeah, yeah, we have like Bandcamp and and stuff like that. But we've not really been very successful with that. And I think for the same reason, we we just want to know what we bring to a gig, and we're really uh, concerned about playing with people, like just jamming with people who we don't know because they need to be. Um, you never know how good a person really is and until you've played with them. I mean, and, I mean, the thing is also that our compositions are partly pretty complex. And it's I think it's also just something that you have to rehearse a bit in advance. Yeah. So like sort of finding people last minute for gigs was something that we we discussed that opportunity, that option, but we didn't really we didn't really want to roll with it. So we then just opted for the the two man thing for yeah. now. Yeah, we also did think about if we should if we should um play live to to drum track um but so far it just doesn't feel natural because we also just like to improvise a little bit on stage and um it yeah. feels like to me it's a bit terrifying like the, the thought that you just have like a track running and it's just running like you, there's nothing you can do <laughs> it's just there it's just gonna bash on no matter what and it's just like if you're not used to it if you're not used to the thought i think it's just some it, it, it has this this certain really terrifying thing and i, I bet i would have nightmares about like <laughs> what what kind of shit could happen with that on stage <laughs> oh yeah and god forbid your uh your system overloads your laptop yeah. needs to reboot or yeah something like that so i totally yeah. get it as far as performance wise you don't want to take any risks and also i i agree with the the elements of the unknown because since you guys have stopped drinking and doing drugs i, I wanted to touch on that for a second because yeah a lot of times when you're in the music scene and you're drinking and you're partying with everybody they're all your drinking buddies you know you don't know who's actually your friends and who isn't who you can actually call on not just for gigs but if you you know if you need to sub out somebody you don't really know until you step out and like find the sober musicians and like see who still wants to hang out with you when you're sober because yeah that really like and it also you get that perception bias of, like you think you're really rocking it on stage and then if you watch the video <laughs> the next day you're like oh boy that was, that was bad. <laughs> yeah yeah definitely i think you i think it's been really 
helpful to come back into music in a completely like sober state of mind. I mean, you even and, completely stopped drinking now when we restarted the band. Yeah, it's actually entirely. it's actually funny because when we stopped doing drugs and drinking back um back in 2000, it was kind of like we stopped and it wasn't really a problem like because we didn't have a huge problem with addiction. So we just kind of decided that oh, we don't want to do it anymore. Um, but that also meant that we could kind of continue to use alcohol just um, as a as a leisure drug, basically, whenever we we wanted to. And for me, it was always like when we had a sing song, when I when I got my guitar out over over these 20 years, where we weren't actually doing music professionally, it would always come with a beer. Um, because for me, like drinking a drinking a beer or two or three when playing guitar was just it, it kind of just belonged together as almost like a remnant of that rock and roll world. And then when we when we started the band up again and we started like practicing every day, I was kind of like, hmm, you know, I'm I'm gonna I'm starting to have beer every day. I'm starting to actually drink every day. That's that doesn't seem like a good idea at all. Um, and that. And then I just kind of decided I'm not going to drink at all anymore. So I've been completely sober now for the first time in my life um, since last May. So no alcohol. Um, yeah, that's that's around when May. we that's uh, around when we really decided to, to, to go, go pro, basically. Yeah. Um, so that's really and and I I've, I have the feeling I profit massively from that. Um, but it's quite difficult sometimes because you know you, you just have these. Uh, pathways where it's like ah oh, we're having a rehearsal and we're all kicking back and let's bring out a couple of beers you know and to just stop yourself from doing that uh, I find that sometimes it's it's a bit challenging oh especially you know you can really lose money by drinking on you know you could spend your whole check on alcohol that's that, that happens that happens to people I had one gig it was a weekly Wednesday night gig and the bass player in that band and even if even when I was drinking, I, I had a point to not drink while playing. I would always drink after because I just, I viewed it as work, but we had a bass player, man. And this was on a Wednesday night. He would always have a shot in a beer. And after like the second or third Wednesday night, I'm like, I'm thinking this guy might have a problem like a Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's, it's also sad to see what it does to your fellow musicians. And like, for me, I stopped also about a year ago and like, if I even get to the point where I'm feeling like I want to drink on stage, then I'll just not do that anymore. Cause like your health is what's more important. It's more about like, cause when it comes down to it, do you guys believe that you're playing music for other people? You know, this is like a way to make the leave the world a better place than when you found it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's what we hope. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's hard to do anything better than the way you found it when you're drunk. That's at That's least true. in my yes. experience. That's true. That is so true. I know, and and I mean, there's there's this one guy I I think about him quite a lot who was in a band called the Candy Apple Queens when mm-hmm. we were in a when yeah. we were in Hollywood. Tracy he was their drummer. He was a really good drummer, and he was a super nice guy. He was just the the nicest guy. Everyone loved him. He was very talented musician yeah, as well. Very talented musician, talented graphic designer, just like a great all-around guy. And he drank himself to death and he died of liver failure when he was, I think, 35 or something. Like, uh, and it's just like shocking to, to me that someone would do that. And he was warned. And like doctors basically told him, you know, if you go on like that, if you go on partying like that, you're gonna kill yourself. And he was like, Well, but this is the life I want to lead. Um, so he made that choice very, very consciously. 
to um to just do that and then just pay with uh with his life basically with just not living very long um and that i don't know to me it's like i want to live as long as possible so i'm able to make as much art as possible and to leave as much of a legacy as possible so it's just like yeah like you say your health is just really really precious yeah and you know being a musician they don't give us health insurance well actually you guys have a better uh better health system than than we do stateside so enjoy, yeah. <laughs> enjoy yeah. that one of the reasons that we that we left the states again well one of the many reasons because uh first of all we were there illegally so we were there as illegal immigrants so we were very limited as far as like actually getting paid gigs or anything that required a contract with papers because um, we just didn't have we, papers, we just so. we couldn't do it so we uh we had this this job in this shady wreckage record shop that that was basically a front for selling bootleg vinyls um and the dude wasn't interested in in paper so like we had this job that got us some money in but we couldn't really we couldn't even really go out of california because we were always a little bit concerned that they would check ids at the state border because sometimes they do and so we were just kind of stuck um professionally so we decided after two years and a bit in LA, we were like, okay, we had the feeling things were picking up at the time. We had a management interest from uh, from Europe and we were like, okay, we're going to go back to Europe because we just have more options there. But one of the reasons was also that exactly we didn't have, of course, we're illegal immigrants, so we didn't have any kind of health insurance or anything. And, and that concerned us um, yeah, a little bit as yeah. well. And in, so, in Europe, exactly, we just then had access to the, health, to the health system. And, uh, that was a, a relief. Yeah. So, so were you found out? How did you? Uh, what was the leaving process like for you? I mean, it's amazing you all even had an apartment. Like, good on you. Good job. Yeah, <laughs> Thank the, you. the apartment was great because we we went uh, we went in there, and um, the guy who owned the house. I mean, we it, were it, first of all, we were eighteen years old. Yeah, we looked like we were about twelve. I mean, we and, look, we were like super, like we're we're small, like we're really like not tall at all, <laughs> and we were super skinny. So we must have looked to him, uh, like we must have looked like we were fourteen or, or fifteen. Um, and he was just like the super nice guy who was just kind of like, yeah, uh, no worries, you know, if you have the down payment of the first month, um. No, no worries at all. I'll just come by once a month and collect the rent cash from everybody anyway. So we didn't need a bank account. We didn't need anything. He literally came once a month and just collected the rent and cash from all his from all his tenants. It was just like like something out of a movie. Yeah, and we just um we could just move right in, just right from the off the streets. From, yeah, like yeah. He was he was like saying, "Yeah, do you do you straight away want to stay tonight?" And we were like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." We like hadn't slept for two weeks, so he's like, "Yeah." And he and he was like, "Do you still need anything to sleep on?" And we were like, "Well, you know, if you got something." He was like, "Yeah, I still got an old sofa. I can I can get you full of fleece." Well, That's yeah, but I don't think he knew that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the, we were we were really just lucky with with that apartment and with the job. We were really just lucky that yeah. we found people who just didn't, didn't care, just didn't care. And then when we left. That was, of course, the moment when we kind of had to own up that we didn't actually have a visa. Um, and uh, we were, again, super lucky because we um, we had a cat at that time, a, a really wonderful white Maine Coon cat that uh, had adopted us because our neighbors, I mean, as you can imagine, in that apartment building, all, pe all the people who lived there were weird. They were all, I mean, there was this one apartment downstairs that always had the blinds down and people would walk in with like 
television sets and car radios and come out without them. And, you know, it's like the sketchy kind of was a sketchy place. And um, we had these neighbors who were just total drug addicts and they had a dog and a cat and they took very good care of the dog and they didn't take care of the cat at all. And the cat just one day, he just walked into our apartment. He was like, okay, I'm your cat now. Like I'm taking care of the uh, and he was called Ozzy. Um, and uh, and he was just a, an amazing cat and he looked amazing. So when we when we uh, went to Europe, we of course we took him, we had him in a in a big carry-on bag, and everyone at the airport was just so smitten with this cat. Everyone was just like, Oh my god, this is the most beautiful cat. And they literally they, they just glanced at our passports and they were just kind of like, Yeah, whatever. And then the only person who actually wanted to see the visa was a, a German lady from the Lufthansa um, who was just doing the check-in thing. And then we were just kind of to her, oh, we didn't know we had to keep those. Uh, we just threw them out after arriving. And we were there like with a cat and with like our instruments and a stack of luggage. Like clearly we had not, not only been there for three months as tourists. And she was just like, oh, that is such a lovely cat. I'll just write you some new ones. And then she just wrote us out like a new tourist visa. And that was it. That Wow. Yeah, it's just like a fairy tale. That that is, yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. So I ask everybody this. What's the weirdest thing that's ever happened to you on stage? What's like the weirdest gig you've ever played? And also, by the way, when you're calling somebody weird as a musician in L.A., when you're like, oh, yeah, they're oh, you know, they're weird. So, yeah, I, you got your seal of approval there. <laughs> their weirdest gig we played. Uh I think that might have almost been this this bar with this cowgirl. I was thinking about the bar with the cowgirl. Yeah, right, I was thinking like, about that. It was, I think it was called Mac Reds or something. And it was just this bar somewhere behind the Orange Curtain. Um, and it was somewhere like in the sticks in Orange County. And um, it was this really tiny bar. And the stage was just kind of in this corner where people couldn't even really see you. You were basically behind a wall. And you were just like overtowered by this big course of Budweiser's ad uh, which was a huge waterfall with like the lights and like these blinking LEDs with this uh, with the waterfall and the and the truck and and changing yeah. rainbow colors that was amazing that was that was really just like so huge and the um the people who were sitting at the bar they were really really close yeah they were like basically they couldn't see you but you were and right were behind their, their asses, asses. yeah <laughs> And they weren't interested in music, uh, in hearing live music at all, I think. Um, and then, like, we were just kind of playing our set, kind of just stood there. We hardly fit into this niche at all where we were, where they placed us. And then at some point, this drunk, big cowgirl type woman just kind of squeezed past us to go to the toilet and just kind of looked at us and was like, music, my ass. And that was it. Like the only audience reaction we got all night. <laughs> oh my goodness. That is that is absolutely that's a nightmare. <laughs> that was surreal. I think that's the most surreal show that, that we've ever played. Well, so for everybody listening to this, where can they find you? You said YouTube. Are you on? Do you have a website? Where where can people come listen to your stuff and send you some money? Yeah, yeah, send us money. Um, so we're uh, on YouTube. We got a website. We're on Instagram and um, Facebook as well. And it's always the handle is always the lurks. Um, so L U R double X, uh, the lurks in, in one word. That's our handle across um, all socials. 
Um, and the website is also the hyphen lurks.com. Um, and of course, all the music is available for free <laughs> um, as it is nowadays, but um, we are working on uh, on having a bit of a better shop. Um, you can buy some stuff. You can buy the stuff in, on Bandcamp, of course, as well. Um, and we have a really exciting project coming up um, that we're super excited about. Um, and the first song from that project is probably going to be out there somewhere in September. And that's um, our new album, which we're working on with uh, James Michael, who was the uh, lead singer of 6AM and also their producer. And he produced um, Madly Crew and, and Meatloaf and the Scorpions. And he's just like, he's a super cool guy and a great producer and mixer. And um, he's also a friend of ours. And he agreed to work with us on our new album because he really loves the nature warrior rock thing and the 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 mix that we bring with like this just this old kind of what did he say like a time when rock still was exciting um and then with that modern message of protecting the planet so he's really behind that and we're super excited to be working with him because we never worked with a producer of that scale so um yeah there's, for, for there's us gonna be, for us that's really the jump to the next level yeah Definitely. so there's going to be some really cool music coming out over the next couple of months yeah, no, congratulations on that. And I found you very easily on Instagram, the Lurks, R-L-U-R-X. Great stuff. Well, it was great chatting with you guys. Sorry about the uh, connection issues. No, no worries. Thank you so much for having us. Yep.